Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Ayushi Mona, your host on India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through the voice of its literature. Today, I'm extremely excited to have with me Vishesh Kothari. Um, Vishesh has translated Vijaydan Detha's work into a book called Timeless Tales from Marwar. For those of you who are not familiar with this, um, Rajasthani writer Vijaydan Detha is one of the most prolific and celebrated literary voices in India. He's written hundreds of stories, short stories and poems. He's been conferred the Padma Shri, uh, the Rajasthan Ratna Award, as well as the Sahitya Academy uh, Award. What is, I think, most important about his legacy is that while he might have been a prolific writer, he really changed the landscape for um, literature originating from Rajasthan because he took a conscious decision um, to go back and write in his mother tongue. And Vishesh, kudos to you for actually taking that ahead. Um, And Vishesh, welcome to the show. We're extremely glad to have you with us. Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So Vishesh, um, you're a financial consultant by profession and you took uh, a keen interest in the oral and music traditions of Rajasthan. And uh, you've also been associated with, say, the UNESCO Sahapedia project on the musical traditions of women in Rajasthan. And, and you're a language expert with the Jaipur Virasat Foundation. I have to ask this uh, um, before anything else. Uh, was the inspiration to translate part of one of your projects or have you been fascinated with um, you know the works of Mr. Data? what came first uh, Ayushi I am uh, native to Rajasthan myself um, uh, and that means that many of these stories so um, just to give people who are listening uh, a little bit of context Vijidan Data's stories uh, are folk stories which he collected um, we can we can talk more about this, but they are folk stories which he collected for nearly 50 years from the common people of Rajasthan. He would, uh, you know, approach older women. He would find uh, daily wage workers, leather workers, Dalit women, Adivasis, uh, wandering monks, poets, bards, minstrels, anyone he could find who had a story to tell. Uh, he would uh, be with them. He'd write down their stories or he'd do, create recordings out of those. And uh, then thereafter, uh, you know, he would, uh, whenever he had enough number of stories, he would rewrite these stories and they would be published in the form of a book. Um, these books came to be called the Batari Fulwadi, which literally translates into the Garden of Tales. They were published uh, between the 60s and I think the final one came out in 2007. So it's nearly 50 years uh, over, over which these books were published. And in these books capture in them, um, um, you know, the very diverse oral traditions of storytelling of Rajasthan. Uh, what that has meant for me, uh, Ayushi, is that many of these stories, at least some of them were directly familiar to me. For example, the story of Jhintia, which is there in this book, which is a story which almost all children from Rajasthan and even diaspora, mm-hmm. all of us have heard of it, heard of this story in various, in one or other versions. Uh, but all of us are familiar with this story. Um, there's so many stories and say, uh, stories which revolve around sayings or a muhavra, as we say. And the story is crafted around that particular saying or muhavra. Those sayings and contexts are deeply familiar to me. 
other than that even the stories themselves the story lines themselves are new the characters the settings their expressions the way they are abusing the way they laugh the way they think um these are settings that are deeply familiar to me um so when i read these stories um there was always obviously this connection that you feel that this is to these stories also part of your is 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 also part of my inheritance um because these are stories that i have also listened to they belong to contexts which i also come from that was one part of the appeal which is deeply personal and secondly was the fact that you know i really identified with deetha's politics as well where he said that you know rajasthani is a language which is distinct from hindi uh, we have suffered post independence from um this imposition of hindi upon us and this wishing away of our unique distinct and cultural uh, linguistic identity and therefore deetha deetha took this conscious call that he would not write in hindi but he would write in rajasthani that politics is something that uh, closely struck a chord with me um and i felt that if this literature from rajasthan which can be brought to readers in english even though it sounds counterintuitive but this act can also create increased awareness that there is a vast body of literature which exists in rajasthani that there is a distinct linguistic identity which rajasthani has mm. so i think at those points those two levels the personal and well it sounds a little like a bit of a cliche but maybe the personal and the political uh, but those were two levels at which there was an immediate uh, appeal of ditha's works um and thereafter you know i was at ashoka university hi friends and colleagues who are writers and translators they um suggested to me this idea that you know uh, it's a, it's a, it's a classic uh, which comes from raj it's a it's a classic uh, rajasthani prose classic um you have first language familiarity in english as well as the uh, as well as the source language rajasthani so why don't you give it a go and then after the process took its own um time from there so that was roughly the process um or uh, you know my journey into uh, this translation exercise and i think it's great that you actually brought the whole personal and the political piece up and and perhaps i know this is a book about folk tales um and we will speak about say all the wonders and and uh, stories etc but but just to begin with right uh a lot of people speak rajasthani right but their language doesn't even have constitutional recognition for one of the most populated large states of the nation right and it's also some of it perhaps is is that um it's not considered a language of elites i don't know so so why is it that uh the disregard for the language and and hence you know uh, vijayan deetha's role in 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 actually making this very conscious decision to write in 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 the native as opposed to hindi or another language becomes a very important decision uh thanks ayushi for this question i mean um I, so this this particular question of you know how exactly rajasthani ended up in this situation it's it's a it's a it's a tricky question because you know it it is a part of this very complex um social political movements which begin uh, and are centered around the independence movement and you know are happening in newly independent india and i'm not an authority on uh, you know modern india or colonial india or uh, you know 20th century india so on and so forth so i should not be venturing into uh, you know uh, holding forth too much on this issue but i do have a brief idea and i can just quickly um walk us through what exactly has happened uh, which is that yes um the language currently has 6 crore plus speakers at the very least in one of its many forms rajasthani has many forms which are spoken uh, in different regions but that doesn't take away from the fact that these are closely related forms which have had their own distinct 
trajectory of historical development there's a own, there's a distinct uh, tradition of liter- written literature in Rajasthan which goes back at least to the 9th century which is what is the accepted um, you know version uh, you know accepted by historians as well there has been enough num- amount of literature which was produced in the courtly um, uh, context in courtly Rajasthan on poetics uh, there there are records there are courtly archives there are uh, books on uh, you know there are the epic ballads there are the there are the loves there the, there are the love ballads or the epic ballads there are folk stories there are um so there's so there's the bath literature and the khyat literature of rajasthan so there's a vast um uh, variety of literary literature in rajasthan which exists you know all the way uh, up to you know the 19th century in the turn of the 20th century uh, what exactly happens is that hindi is put forth as a unifying force and there is this idea that we have to create this uh, indian identity and perhaps it's somewhat in the style of the european nation state just as germany is for the german speaking people and france is for the french speaking peoples uh, that india will become this language of hindi speaking people so that is you know what the, the slogan comes about hindi hindu and hindustan um and in this um race which happens or in this in the in the thrust of this of this movement which gathers extreme force people beha- from rajasthan themselves very actively put their force behind hindi because they feel that uh, wo daur aisa tha ayushi the people are trying to say that don't talk about how we are different different but talk about how we are similar talk about what unites us and you know hindi is trying to be put trying to be put forward as this lingua franca which will unify uh, and create this pan indian identity so a uh, very uh, reductive account of what is happening but people from rajasthan actively get involved in this struggle and people are promised that after independence of course all the languages will get their due but right now we must ensure that hindi is going to be declared as the official language of india of course we know that this project um overall remains a failure south india rejects this the northeast rejects this bengal rejects this maharashtra rejects this reject, re, uh, rejected this so on and so forth but it became this large success in what has become called the hindi belt of north india um and hmm. hindi has had this relationship with many other regional languages um i'm not saying rajasthani is the unique one which is fi- which has found itself in that spot so many other regional languages today are interpreted or are uh, thought of as dialects of hindi whereas it is really the reverse it is from these dialects it is on the stilts of these dialects that hindi was you know constructed uh, whereas it is not that these dialects have emerged out of hindi that is not the historical trajectory which has happened so um rajasthani is one of the many languages in north india which have been denied their due however possibly it is the among the larger larger ones uh it is among the um you know the, the more widely spoken ones because in that the entire mm. state of rajasthan you will find if you leave the urban and cosmopolitan centers it is a rajasthani language which is being spoken by people so from the 50s and 60s itself a movement begins to gather steam that rajasthani uh, must uh, language must be given its recognition this movement still continues to this day i wouldn't say it's politically a very strong movement however it is a significant movement and there's enough talk and um uh, debate and discourse about this in the rajasthani um you know literary circles in the hindi in the vernacular media in rajasthan uh, so on and so forth so that very briefly is just positing vijaydan deetha in context that he's among the uh, people who have seen india get newly independent he's one of those you know uh, people uh, he was born in 1927 he would have been 20 years old uh, so of course he gets politically sucked into this movement and you know by the time he's in, he uh, by the time we are in the in the late 50s and 60s there are many people who are beginning to question that why uh, people from rajasthan uh, must not be able to have a language which they can call their own and data becomes a part of that category of people uh, 
uh, in the 60s, in the late 50s and 60s. You know, this um, was such a great, uh, you know, uh, illustration of the whole context to this. And it, it really, um, uh, you know, something that I really want to tie into this is, is the introduction that's at the beginning of Jintia, right? Because, uh, of course, all of the stories in the book begin with, you know, an anecdote that sort of pertains to the introduction. But, uh, but the particular anecdote at uh, there um, says that, you know, but how was I to acquire the skill of writing in it, which is writing in Rajasthani? And he uh, says that uh, what, and, and then Baba Sa tells him that what silliness is this? You were writing well in Hindi and readers were reading your work and praising you. And then where will you find readers for Rajasthani? Go back to your village. Uh, the stories that on their strength alone have survived in the memories of people, nurture them with your craft. And, and a little um, back in the conversation, you mentioned this in passing, right? That he uh, uh, actually, Vijayadan Gita actually spoke uh, to people uh, of the soil and the salt and farmers and tillers and women um, and uh, workers. And, and that is... Uh, a legacy which then became, uh, you know, these stories uh, and, and are now, of course, accessible to us. Uh, a lot of readers like me who wouldn't probably read in any language other than English or Hindi or or maybe perhaps one or two additional languages. And it, it allows us to read these translated pieces and open our eyes uh, because I think... and. Why I bring up the fact that he went back and really started speaking uh, to the common man and most importantly, the common woman, um, because a lot of these stories have picked up and, and been built up from there is because during this narrative and, and the work that Vijayadan Deitha did, he he's also changed the perception of Rajasthan to an outsider, right? Because a lot of uh, imagination around folk culture in Rajasthan is still very um, regal or royal or pertains to royalty or of warriors, right? Really as much as the everyday stories um, uh, that you see, uh, actually that you read in, in the book. Um, so what was this journey of actually accumulating these stories like? And, and how... Uh, how does something like Timeless Tales from Marwar actually even break that perception mold that a lot of people have uh, about Rajasthan only being um, uh, a place where folk lores and folk tales or, or popular stories that have come in are largely of royals and warriors and kings. And uh, that's why Ayushi that uh, Ditha is such an interesting character because you know he is not. So there's really two things which he's challenging, challenging over here when he begins his task of writing uh, Fulwadi in the in, in the late 50s. Not only is he challenging um, the imposition of Hindi or the hegemony of uh, you know Hindi, uh, 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 you know, or the imposition of Hindi, he's also challenging the hegemony of the written word uh, because he decides that you know why must I only uh, or why must there be greater legitimacy to the literature which has been passed on to us in our manuscripts and in our scriptures 
and you know was written by in you know was produced in the courts but why is there greater legitimacy to, to this literature while there is none given to a vast oral tradition which exists and um, and and you know he realizes that the written word has always been written either by or from the point of view of uh, the elites of society because you know uh, you would have to have been either the king to have a literary chronicle commissioned uh, by a court poet or you would have to be have been a very rich merchant um to be you know commissioning maybe your life story or uh, you know something of that sort or a genealogy for your family or you would have had to be maybe uh, you know if you're writing scripture you would belong to the liturgical elite or the brahminical elite you would be belonging to the priestly class however what happens to the vast literature which exists in rajasthan of the common people which is um you know it it is so much more in volume and it is so much more diverse it has such a multiplicity of voices and these are simultaneously challenging both of these so when he decides uh, to go and write back in rajasthan uh, to go back and write, begin writing in rajasthani but not only that he begins deciding that his stories will be based on folk stories which adivasis who are traveling through his village have to tell him or uh, you know some old woman in his family uh, he asks her to remember stories which she told her you know uh, she heard while she was growing up as a child it is really a radical act and you know we must not um, in any sense underplay its importance because uh, it would have been it, it, it still is a very brave task but still you know today we've made so much more progress in terms of understanding of of, of, of things or today our understanding of things has shifted so much more but in the time he's doing it it must have been uh, literary suicide it must have been vocational suicide it must have been uh, so many forms of uh, rebellion happening at the same time uh, but for him to do it it must have required a lot, lot of bravery uh, for him to do it i do know that his family and him both went through a, a hard time financially because um, he was there wasn't really any money in this there wasn't really any support in this there wasn't really any reader base in this i think it is only in the 70s um in the mid 70s when the sahitya academy award for rajasthani is constituted and he gets the first award uh, for volume 10 of rajabatani fulwadi that volume gets translated into hindi and that was the time when he really begins to hit um you know this national stage because then his stories get picked up by uh, shyam benigal who makes uh, charandas chor out of it by habib tanbir who makes a play based on his stories slowly in the 80s uh, you know mani call has picked up on it he makes dubidha um then you have uh, prakash uh, jha who makes uh, parinati out of it and then of course in the 2000s you have paheli the movie which was based out of it so it is then really from the mid 70s onwards that he actually begins to get some returns he begins to get some rewards he begins to get get some recognition for his work but before that he's largely um writing uh, for maybe a very small but a select audience base or reader base within rajasthan and that was where his um, name was confined to so um it it, it it was surely not an easy choice that uh, you know this journey uh, down which he uh, embarked you are right that uh, for many reasons rajasthan remains uh, uh, almost stuck in this uh, idea of this um you know this pastiche almost between the fort and the palace and the veiled maharani and the uh, you know this brilliant warrior um and there is really not much else that you see coming out of rajasthan one part of it is of course the tourist industry which thrives on this kind of um uh, you know this try try to this kind of museumization of culture almost because you know it is it is a part of the the the, the charm of rajasthan that you know this is anachronistic state uh, of forts and palaces and you know sand dunes etc which are all true there's there's no denying that it's uh, but but you know it has just come to preponder over all else in our imagination and uh, deitha's work you really begin to see completely another side and you know he says that you know i don't write about 
uh, forts and palaces and kings and queens, I write about the common man. And in the Talker's Ghost, which is his story, um, he says, um, I'm just wanting to quote, he says, that, and I began to find a new respect for the expo- exploited classes of society. There is a scent of this in every letter of my Fulwadi. I was born into the Charan caste, but I have sung praises of toil and sweat and have left no stone unturned in insulting those elites who survive on the toil of others. So that is a little quote. Um, Aishi, just to give you some context, the Charan caste in Rajasthan is a caste of bards and genealogists uh, who were largely associated with courtly patronage. So most of the writing from Charans, which you will find, you will find that they are historical chronicles or courtly chronicles or, or of a, a, you know, of a religious nature. Um, you know, Deta for him mm-hmm. to be from the Charan caste of poets and you know, literateurs, so to say, uh, but instead to, you know, to change the vision totally, um, you know, and to write about people, the common man, uh, it, you know, it, it gives you further context into uh, how many kinds of rebellion he's engaged in. I have one another quick um, one of these epigraphs which I want to read out from it's the, it's, it's the one from the last story which is called Jarav Masi's Tales and he says my village was my university and my literary education if any came from rural women who always had so many interesting stories anecdotes and wisdom to share when men my age went out to hunt or drink I used to sit in my courtyard listening to what the women had to say their gossip, their tall tales at one point I specifically started to invite all the women, all the women who were just willing to sit with me and talk there were days when I was surrounded by women lost in conversation for hours at an end. So that gives you some further picture into Deta, his craft, his time, and uh, you know where exactly he's positioned uh, in terms of his literary. You know, Vishesh, uh, thank you so much. You, know, I, I. Sometimes when I listen to authors speak, I'm I'm almost in a state of trance, and and that's exactly what happened here because I really and, and of course uh, these are questions that every translator gets asked. But to uh, be a translator uh, is no easy task, even if uh, because it, it does just go beyond the fact that oh you can speak both these languages, so hey come and and you know turn this into another work of literature uh, while keeping the essence of the writer intact. But in your case, it's very fascinating because in some ways, right, uh, you are translating a translator because he's uh, consuming these stories and he's putting them together and and you've worked upon them and, and added another layer. And it's also interesting because of this whole, um, I would say, flux between oral uh, and uh, written literature right that obviously oral accounts go through so many versions um so as a translator did you decide to stick to authenticity because you were um uh, you know going to just uh, pick vijayadan deta's work and show it for what it was but again in his case he got it from gen people who have heard it over generations so what was that process like for you? It's, it's just so fascinating to hear you, you know, take us through this journey. Uh, Ayushi, I think again, I uh, want to just quote uh, Vijayadan Deta over here. He says that there are no original stories. There are just tellings and retellings. And uh, this is so, uh, th- this really fits in perfectly with the very idea of oral traditions, isn't it? That there aren't really any original stories. There isn't really any author. 
but there are just people who choose to tell a story at a particular time in a particular way and that just happens to be the story uh, which is told then and there and uh, this is the very nature of oral traditions um deta himself i think of it as he was translating from the oral to the written you know so he was translating form and i was given the task of translating from rajasthani to english so i was tra- trying to translate across language um so yes maybe yes you can look upon deta as a collector of stories um as someone who was translating stories but i do genuinely think that deta would have had to do a lot of work uh, on these stories uh, which is beyond mere transcription uh, because he did cast these stories uh, from a point of view or in a form uh, which was different i don't think they are purely redacted uh, in their uh, traditional uh, forms um there have been changes very subtle changes which is introduced um where um he's changed the points of view or where he's changed the questions and suddenly the story suddenly becomes contemporary or suddenly it becomes relevant it suddenly becomes so fitting to the context in which we are sitting today uh, there is a story called um uh, uh, i think it's called the learning of toil yes it's called the learning of toil which is a story uh, which is of a conversation between an old woman and raja bhoj and it feels so fitting um, to the time mm. uh, to the entire theme of sycophancy uh, where you have uh, people who are not able to speak truth to power and there's you know a woman uh, i don't want to let the uh, you know the story out of the bag but anyhow it it it, it, feel, it felt very fitting when i was translating it it feels very fitting when i've had the chance to read out an excerpt from it and uh, people have told me that they've also felt that you know the story is very contemporary it's very relevant despite the fact that uh, you know the, uh, it it goes back at least 400 500 years in origin and uh, well that's a compliment to me because that means at least some part of my task i have been able to do so yes um, oral traditions are of that nature they are always uh, changing they are always mutating um, they are fluid in form data uh, is having to of mm. course you know translate uh, medium and i'm having to translate language um, the task of translating uh, i'm not a trained translator uh, i this is my first book um, i had never thought of myself as a translator either um but mm. uh, once i got down to it i sort of two main features of these stories one was of course the fact that they are oral traditions so i mean it was very important for me to achieve or maintain or conserve this lightness of form or this lightness of telling which data achieves it is very much like a storytelling session when we read his works in rajasthani it appears that the sutradhar uh, is sitting in front of us and he's just mm. narrating a story to us and he achieves this particular style of the of the folk tale it was very important for me to be able to achieve that the orality and the second thing which was important mm. for me to create was a sense of regionality because deta of course he was writing rajasthani folk tales in rajasthani so he would the people who were reading it were familiar with the culture were familiar with the context with the food with the geography with what people wear with how old women speak with how they curse how young men curse and how it's different so on and so forth but i was having to present this culture to an uninitiated reader it was important to convey a sense of region uh, where these stories originate from it was important to retain some of that uh, the texture of the original language its cadence its lilt and uh, so i tried to create a sense of regionality in the prose um, i don't know if it has been successful or not that is for readers to tell me but those were the two main guiding uh, principles which i uh, evolved and thereafter i went about it line by line um, of course there was a lot of um rounds of uh, work that i had to put into it uh, in the sense that there was a lot of back and forth between me and the editors there were some things uh, which are purely um, spoken forms or expressions of constructs uh, which i wasn't familiar to because uh, familiar with 
because there are some regional variations in mm-hmm. Rajasthan. I come from the Bikaner region. Uh, you know, Biji comes from the Jodhpur region. Uh, there was something which have fallen out of use. Uh, you know, we don't use it in my generation anymore, but I had to go to older people to ask them the meanings of uh, something which I was able to find the meaning of only when I visited um, Jodhpur, I visited, uh, the, uh, you know, Biji's village. So I was able to understand more closely that, you know, these are the constructs which they use in the Marwar region. So now it makes more sense to me. It was a process where all these little things came together to finally sort of put this, uh, you know, this entire thing together, this patchwork, uh, you know, together. So uh, thereafter, yes, there were many different elements, but primarily those two guiding principles for me. I can't believe that, you know, we're half an hour into this conversation and this uh, has been so fluid and wonderful and to listen to this and learn from this Vishesh because um, I I think half an hour later, I'm going to ask you about the meat of the book, which are the studies themselves because it has been so immersive to just listen to this context and the richness um, to the background of these stories and it's, it's also made me muse because um, when we as readers read right uh, we just see a final product in our hands and we consume it for what it is um, but to know of what went behind it in the context has been uh, marvelous and uh, I, I really enjoyed it for one I also think and because you mentioned regionality and the orality and since I've read the book I can at least for myself say that I think you've managed to bring both those things into the book. Thank you. Also, um, I'm sorry, also this is, now this is a Puffin classic, right? So this is geared towards children, which is, uh, which is perhaps the case almost everywhere that we tend to um, give our children our folk tales and our stories, whether it's uh, through a panchatantra or whether it's through a tale that our grandparents or parents tell us but did you have something in mind uh, 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 because I think a couple of times you've mentioned let's say a particular way uh, men curse and and you know so did you have to um, I won't use the word censor but did you look at making this book appropriate for children in any way or did you pretty much go ahead with it as is um, and, and honestly, since I've read it, I can tell you that it, it can be enjoyed and read by every adult, much like, you know, the original Grimm works of Grimm's or a Charles Perrault or whatever. Uh, but really, I wanted to understand your take on uh, writing for the Puffin audience in mind. Very honest, uh, Ayushi, um, it, it, uh, it was just the way things turned out. It wasn't really a part of a plan. It so happens that um, things worked out. Uh, you know, I was in, I was put in touch with the commissioning editor um, uh, of for the Puffin Classic uh, or for the children's uh, section at Penguin, and uh, you know they picked it up as a regional classic because they are working on bringing out uh, regional classics which they want to present uh, as part of Puffin Classics. Um, so yes, it was just the way things turned out. To be very honest, however. Um, I think both my editor and me were clear uh, on this, that this is, um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a book for children, but in that it's suitable for people 10 years and upwards. So in some sense, I think of it like uh, in its original context, even though, for example, um, 
okay, let's 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 put it like this: that in its original context, you know, these stories would have been, um, you know, they, it would have been for mass entertainment also, right? So, for example, uh, so for example, there are some stories which are meant for children, which are what mothers and grandmothers tell, for example, the children uh, when they put them to sleep at night, uh, bedtime tales. Then there are some stories which are religious in nature, and there are sermons, and you know, people or monk who's giving uh, a sermon will use a particular story as an illustrated point. Then there are stories which, uh, you know, there's maybe a wandering, uh, there's a bard or a minstrel who's come to the village today and for uh, evening's entertainment, the entire village will gather in the evening and there'll be an evening of entertainment where a story will be exchanged. There are stories which people, uh, which farmers maybe tell themselves at night when they're guarding their fields. Uh, you know, they will tell, tell each other stories to pass time. So stories arise in so many contexts. Some are exclusively for children, some are in more a multi-generational context where the entire family will gather. So I have tried to choose a broad selection of all different types of stories. While some stories definitely are very directly uh, intended as children's tales and are intended to be you know, told only to children, most stories I feel are multi-generational. I felt were multi-generational in nature in that they would have probably been enjoyed by everyone listening, whether it is uh, or they would have been meant for everyone listening, whether it's a sermon on, say, the fact that uh, greed is uh, avari greed or avarice is bad or causes harm, or whether it is, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this tale of fantasy and adventure, like Nagan Mir Line Prosper, which is about this, this fantastical story of, uh, you know, this how this Nag and Nagin come into the life of, uh, uh, of a young, uh, of a childless couple. So... Yes, even the Kelu tree, I felt, right? Yes. And Kelutri again, you know, its form on, on, on uh, uh, superficially seems somewhat like a children's tale. But, you know, I feel that there are many layers. So I, mm -hmm. I actually thought of it like maybe like a Bollywood film, uh, you mm -hmm. know, which is rated, uh, you know, suitable for children of 12 upwards and the entire family goes and enjoys it. But there's some, but it's layered, you know, in that there is uh, everyone who finds something in it for themselves, you know. Uh, so it's not just uh, reductive in nature. But at the same time, maybe it has a multi-generational appeal, mm -hmm. which is what these stories originally would have been intended for, most of these stories anyway. So um, I think I thought of it in that manner. Yes, there were some constraints which came about immediately uh, because of the fact of it being a puffin classic. Uh, there was there were some stories from my long list which mm -hmm. we had to remove uh, because, you know, um, they would have had to be sanitized to the point where they would have lost their meaning. So I preferred not to have those instead. There were a couple of contexts as well where uh, some explicit references, expletives or references to sex, uh, because these stories were extremely explicit. I have to say that, that most of these stories in language, in theme, um, they're extremely explicit. And that really ties into, um, you know, a, a large sociological difference that we have today on uh, uh, regarding who we regard as children today. Uh, may not have been necessarily people regarded as children at that, that point of time. You must realize that um, uh, children, for example, the age of 10, 11 or 12, uh, themes which are explicitly sexual in nature may not have been thought too inappropriate for them because they would have been married in a year, uh, year, year and a half anyway. So, uh, you know, maybe this story, these stories were a part of their essential sex education and in and the way in which this kind of knowledge was transmitted from one generation to the other. But today there are certain themes and stories which we don't consider appropriate for our children and that is the changed social reality today. And we did have to adapt uh, somewhat, uh, very limited I would say. Kudos to the, to, to the publishers, to my editors 
for uh, being very flexible and being very open minded on that but there was some uh, uh, there was some sanitization that did have to be done from the uh, which came from the fact of it being a cotton classic vishesh which is your favorite out of all of these um i think uh, the story i i do have uh, a few favorites actually so it's a little bit difficult but i think the two which uh, really uh, I, i always enjoy uh, one is nagan meo line prosper um uh, which was a story i just mm-hmm. mentioned and the other one which i like is the learning of toil uh, which is a story between uh, mm-hmm. a conversation between raja bhoj and an old woman so i have to ask you if you were to recommend um a book to the listeners right um perhaps from the author uh, himself or or otherwise also right a book that you think would be fascinating for someone to read um uh, in 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 this context perhaps or otherwise uh, what is a book that you would you'd like to recommend do you mean in the context of literature from rajasthan or centered in rajasthan uh either that or or another uh, you know perhaps a hindi work of vijay dandetha's or one of his works in rajasthani perhaps other works besides your own from the author and and, and a book in this context as well we are greedy so i am asking you for now three recommendations literally yes yes so i'll i'll take them one by one so vijay dandetha's work um uh, it it was all the collective works were, i think other than a couple of stories i think all stories of his were published in his batari fulwadi um to my knowledge there has there is uh, one translation currently which is available and is in print which is by christy merrill and was i think it came out in 2009 2010 um uh, of some of his works i haven't read the translation myself um so vijayanandita's work in translation in english unfortunately i am not fully you know i am not uh, in a position to recommend any other uh, work because uh, i know of one which is uh, currently available and i haven't read it um there are his works which have been translated into hindi um his family has current just this year at the jaipur literature festival uh, it was ready and the family uh, has commissioned uh, they commissioned a translator to translate the batani fulwari into hindi it's called bato ki pagiya um and that i believe is available now um again i haven't read it because i was more uh, uh i i was definitely looking or i preferred reading the stories in their original in rajasthani so i have not read the works in mm. in hindi so that tackles works by vijayan detha work from rajasthan um in english well i can recommend um english writing um i think um anukriti upadhyay is um a bhauri uh, which i have read um that is uh, it's uh, a very different uh, type of story of course um but i think it is also very uh, rooted in its mm-hmm. milieu it is very rooted in rajasthan in its traditions and its people and its seasons and their food uh so if people are looking for uh something which carries a lot of that flavor i would recommend uh, anukriti ji's uh, uh, books i believe uh, i am aware that she's her new book kinsugi has also just come out though i haven't yet uh, been able to uh, lay my hands on it uh, but those are two recommendations if one is reading in hindi i would recommend uh, alka saraugi's writing uh, alka saraugi is uh, 
part of the Rajasthani mm-hmm. diaspora. Uh, she's based in Calcutta and she writes about the Rajasthani migrant experience and she writes about Raj- primarily about the Marwadi community which is settled mm-hmm. in Calcutta. However, it at once uh, is not, uh, I would not say it's too specific to a particular community or it has not become self-absorbed. It is at once about uh, modernity, about um, this trans, about this, uh, you know, movement of people who come from villages but make their way into the middle class and so on and so forth. So at once it becomes social, it becomes political, it is historical and it is about a lot mm-hmm. of things uh, which uh, we in contemporary India relate to, despite the fact that it is centered on the inner and outer lives of a very particular community who are the Marwadi community who moved out from Rajasthan and have settled in Bengal. Um, so Alka Saraugi's work uh, is also uh, work that I would recommend personally. Thank you so much. These are such wonderful recommendations. I'm going to read Alka Saraugi's book. I Coincidentally, I am um, talking to Anakriti next week and I just finished reading her new book. And, uh, and I have signed copies of her first book as well and I've read them. So it was quite uh, uh, nice to sort of have, uh, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned her because there was this bulb that went up above my head and I was like, ah, that's nice. But I will uh, definitely read uh, Alka's works. Vishesh, it's been absolutely marvelous talking to you. I don't know where time has flown. Uh, much like listening to folk tales, uh, uh, you know, uh, where one doesn't know uh, from once upon a time to uh, witches to fairies to uh, magic and and, uh, animals talking. Uh, uh, One is transported in time listening to you. I was also transported in time. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you very much, Ayushi. Um, It's been a pleasure uh, speaking to you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Folks listening in, Please do not forget to grab a copy of Timeless Tales from Marwar. You just have to look up excerpts and amazing reviews of the book online to see how much love it's already gathered. Um, read the book yourself or buy it for your children or nephews or nieces. Um, I would highly recommend uh, that you... It's a slim volume. I finished in one um, but honestly, you can read each story. Uh, you can read a story a day if that's uh, something you would enjoy. The book's available across Amazon, Flipkart, at independent bookstores near you. Um, thanks again, Vishesh. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do not forget to tune in to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Ghana, and HT Smartcast.